Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus in the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. Good morning, OTC. Uh, I'm Andy Lewis. I'm Cindy Lewis. And uh, we're partners here at Old Town Church. We're, we're happy to welcome you today. Um, please stand with us as we read God's word together. All right. Philipp- I'm going to be on my tiptoes here. <laughs> Philippians 1, 1 and 2. Um, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Acts 6, Acts 16, 6 through 12, and I'll try my best on these city names. Um, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. This is the word of the Lord. I really just gave Andy that passage to get back at him for a number of things that he's done to me in my lifetime. Um, We are uh, just so excited to be uh, starting a a series in the book of Philippians today. Um, We'll be in this uh, right up up until Christmas time, and so just kind of settle into this book. I would encourage you to to read it, even if you are on like Instagram or anything like that. We'll be posting kind of some read-ahead uh, posts where you can know what passage we're going to be in that next Sunday. And so uh, just encourage you to, to read God's word. We will teach from it, but ultimately it is the ultimate authority. And so we want you in that word on your own. Um, and, uh, and, and just would be saying all of our small groups are also going to be studying this book together, uh, coinciding with, with the sermon series. And so encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, we would love for you to, to join one of those and study Philippians with uh, some of your brothers and sisters in here uh, along the way. So uh, it's, it's a great book. I think this is a really timely study for us as a church. I'm super excited uh, personally just to be, to be digging into it myself. And so uh, I'm going to just come to what, what Cindy just read a minute ago, and this is Philippians 1, 1, and 2. And we'll start there, and then I'll kind of take you where we're going to go today. Uh, It says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're, you're taking notes or you're, you're trying to figure out who this is and who it's going to, I mean, we get kind of the author of the letter, the, the recipient of the letter uh, right here. The author was Paul. 
Paul was in Rome. And by the way, as I'm doing this, there's these really cool little sheets in the back. I don't know if everybody got one or we might have run out, but it just gives like an overview of this whole book. And so uh, snag one of those at some point um, because it just gives a a good kind of picture of the context. But uh, the Apostle Paul was the author of this book. He was in Rome at the time. It was probably around 60 AD, 60, 61 AD when he wrote this letter uh, to a church that he had visited. And the letter was also written on behalf of Timothy. So he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of, of Christ Jesus. Uh, Timothy was a close companion of Paul and who was with Paul when he first preached the gospel in Philippi. Now, Philippi was a, a major city uh, in, in the Roman Empire at that time, a city with uh, great influence. It's a major trade route, and so lots of religions kind of came through and took root there at the time. So there's a, lo- a lot of different uh, viewpoints. Um, unlike many of the places that Paul would preach, there was actually not a very large Jewish uh, community there. And so we'll see uh, evidence of that a little bit when we get into into Acts 16. So, but uh, in in verse 1, we see who the recipient is. It says, all the saints in Christ Jesus. And I think just from the very beginning here, we see a reminder of the gospel, that we are only saints, we are only God's holy people because of Jesus Christ. It's nothing that we have done to earn it. We, don't, we aren't given that title if we join the club or we're not just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a saint. You are only a saint. You are only one of God's holy people uh, because of Jesus Christ. All right, we, We're only counted as saints because of Jesus. And so he says to all the saints in Jesus Christ at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And that, that specific little phrase there is different from all of Paul's normal openings. He doesn't normally include that phrase with the overseers and deacons. And so that inclusion, uh, we'll get a clue a little bit later in chapter four, maybe why he was saying, hey, overseers and deacons, this is for you as well, because there was some conflict happening in the church that needed to be addressed. Uh, but I do want to stop just for a moment and see that this local church in Philippi was organized. It had structure. There was people in positions of leadership. They were an organized church body. And In the same way, we uh, pursue to be aligned with what the Bible teaches uh, in the way that we organize as a church. It's why we have elders here at Old Town Church. It's why we are pursuing. We're young still, so we're trying to learn. We're three years old, just trying to, what does it look like to have deacons? What does deacons look like? We see scriptural precedent for that. So we're beginning to study that and see what that might look like for our church. It's also why we have formalized church membership, that uh, we, we feel like the New Testament in particular gives a lot of evidence to the need for that within the local church. And contextually here in, in the society we live in, I think it's even more important uh, for us to, in order to obey the scripture, I think it's important to have that formalized membership process. And so I hate to just keep doing announcements, but on October 1st, we do have a class called Discover OTC And it's just a way for you to learn, like, what do we believe about church membership? Why is it important? And how can you take those steps here at Old Town Church? So we'd love for you to be a part of that. But here in this introduction, Paul's addressing the entire church of Philippi. Um, He's saying, hey, to all the saints, to the overseers, to the deacons, all of you. And he says, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I I think those were, we can, I don't know about you. When I read Paul's letters, I'm like, yeah, 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 get past the grace and peace part and let's get to the real thing, all right? So I always skip over this part, but I just think Paul is so intentional to make sure that everything he's about to say to any church body, he's founding it in the gospel. That that, that it is on the foundation of the gospel, that grace, that the saints were shown God's favor for free. That it's, it's, they've received the gospel through grace. It cost them nothing. They were shown God's favor when they did not deserve it, uh, which is grace. 
And peace. Peace is what we have because of our salvation. We can have peace in moments like we're walking through with the Ingrams because we know that our eternity is set and secure, that there is peace in the midst of all of that. And that peace, it lasts throughout our lifetime, even when we face trials. It's a peace that can't be shaken because of who the peace rests in, which is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul draws attention to the Father and the Son working together, the Father who initiates salvation and draws us to himself, and the Son who accomplished that salvation on the cross by giving himself up for our sin. And so this is the gospel. So Paul begins this letter to this church in Philippi reminding everyone where their position as saints rests in in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so if you're anything like me, you love a good origin story. Like I, I love I love to know, like uh, a lot of times even if I'm in a new small group, I love to hear one of my favorite questions is like, all right, tell me about yourself as a kid or like if there's a married couple, like how did you guys meet? Like I love to just know uh, people's origin stories. And, and so uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, like I don't know if anyone's a fan of those, but they're like some of my favorites, right? And you're like, this is why he's a little bit the way that he is. Or like even Bane, the villain, you're like, oh, this guy is messed up. And here's why. You know, like you see this, this backstory to people. Or I, I love one of my favorite Star Wars movies is, is Rogue One. You get this idea of like, how did they find out how to actually blow up the Death Star? Well, they got the plans back. And I won't tell you the whole movie, but it's this origin story. You see where all of that comes from. Or maybe more importantly for you, who is Buzz Lightyear? And why is the, he the way that he is in Toy Story? Like, so when the Buzz Lightyear movie came out, I was like, tell me more about Buzz Lightyear. This is important to me. Uh, but regardless, I just love a, a good origin story. And for us as a church, last week we celebrated our three-year anniversary. I used to work at a church that was founded in 1880. 1880. Their origin story goes way, 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 way back. All right, they're about to hit 150 years coming up soon. And so lucky for us... Uh, when we think about this church in Philippi, we actually get their origin story, and it's in Acts chapter 16. So turn with me back to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to learn a little bit about this faith family in, in Philippi and where they came from. So, and here's our big idea for today. This is, this is where we're going here. The power of the gospel unites a diverse people for the glory of God. The power of the gospel unites a diverse people for the glory of God. Last week we talked about how we are called as a church to be a gospel-centered community on mission for the glory of God. That's our purpose as a church. That's the purpose of every church. It's not just ours, but that's some words that, that we use. And if the gospel is central to who we are and what we do, then today we will learn that there is a unifying power in the gospel. It unites a very diverse people, a very diverse group of people in Philippi, um, and so let's take a look and see where that church started. All right, so Acts chapter 16, we're going to just walk through part of this narrative together. And here's, here's my first point. God is perfectly orchestrating his people to accomplish his plan of salvation. God is perfectly orchestrating his people to accomplish his plan of salvation. Let's look in Acts 16, verse 6 through 12. And if you are... This is like me thinking personally. We got you these journals and stuff. You're like, ooh, i got to write that real quick before you... We'll, we'll throw the point back up on the screen. So you can chill or you can take pictures of it. But that's just practical note to you. Okay, Acts 16, 6 through 12. It says this. And they went through the region of... Oh, now I've got to read all the words I made Andy read. All right. Um, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit 
to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night of a man in Macedonia standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Andy, I'm hopping you on that one, I like that. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in that city some days. And so, so this is, we get this picture of this missionary journey, all right, and, and God orchestrating it. And who is the they? It says, it says they, and they went, in verse 6, they went through the region uh, they is Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Silas, all right? There might have been some others, but those are, those are some of the ones that we know were going, all right? Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Silas. Now, Timothy, if you read the verses right before this, which we didn't read, is fresh off of a circumcision, all right? So prayers uh, for Timothy that he is healing up well and on that journey. Um, and, but what we see in these verses, this is what I really want us to notice, is the guiding of the Spirit as they are going about their journey. Uh, they, the Spirit was very clear, do not speak the word in Asia. Do not speak the word in Bithynia. God was cl very clearly uh, with them where not to go. And I just want to acknowledge sometimes that we're in a season of life where God just keeps saying no. He keeps saying not yet. He keeps saying, no, not that, not that one, don't do that. He just keeps saying no. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about we're asking God, what do you want me to do? What should I do? Maybe it's a job or a house or just whatever the th a relationship. And God just keeps saying no. And, and there are seasons where we walk through. Where it's like, Lord, will you ever say yes? Will you just give me direction? Will you give me clarity? And God just keeps saying no, and I just want to encourage you that God's no is just as good as his yes. It's still guidance from him. His guidance is always good, even if it doesn't give us the answer that we want. So it might be good, even though it doesn't feel good to us when we're in those seasons of no. And the reason that we can rest peacefully in those no's from God is because we know that he is working his plan to perfection and his timing is always perfect. And these are things we rehearse to ourselves, so I'm just, these are truths that we need to rehearse to ourselves because in those moments, they don't feel good, but they are true. You know what I mean? Like you, I know this is true, doesn't feel good, but I know it's true. And so I'm going to just keep kind of walking in that feeling and walking in that truth at the same time. And so just, just an encouragement for you, if you're in one of those seasons of no's, that you can trust the one who is sovereign over it all. And in verse 8 through 10, God does communicate through a vision for them to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. They finally got their marching orders, and so they set off immediately, immediate obedience. They set off immediately to Macedonia. And then verse 11 and 12, Paul and his crew travel by water, then on land, and end up in Philippi, the city that we talked about just a little bit earlier. And I just want us to see from these verses, just so we can be reminded and, and rest in God's guidance in our lives, is that God had a perfect plan for the gospel to be preached in Philippi. This is why there was the no to Asia and the, the no to Bithynia, because God was saying, I want you to go to Philippi. He had a plan for people to be saved by the power of the gospel. And for those people, those saints, to gather together as a church, and for leaders, elders and deacons to be appointed, and for that church body to grow healthy so that the gospel could be displayed and declared in Philippi, and so that this young church 
could join Paul in his missionary work across the world. That's why all of the no's were there, because there was a specific yes that God was leading them to, and that was the planting of a church in Philippi. And that's what we're going to study in this book of Philippians. But it began here in Acts chapter 16, as God said, no, not Asia, no, not Bithynia, yes, Philippi. And, and so there's some people in this church that I'd like for you to meet today, all right? There's some people in the church of Philippi that we get an introduction to. And so let's meet some of the first members of that church in Philippi. Uh, and here's point number two. This one's going to sound weird when you see it, but just go with the whole sermon, okay? The power of the gospel brings salvation for the wealthy and influential. All right? The power of the gospel brings salvation for the wealthy and influential. Let's read verses 13 through 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the, woman, the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So they go in. This was Paul's MO. He would go into a city, look for the synagogue on the Sabbath, and go start preaching the gospel there. And, uh, and so he goes into the city on the Sabbath, and there, there wasn't, it wasn't there. He couldn't find where the, the people were gathering, or maybe it, was, it didn't even exist. But what he does stumble upon is a, a women's Bible study. I mean, these women gathering together, likely for prayer, likely to, to rehearse uh, the scriptures that they knew, um, likely a, a group of Jewish women who were just walking through uh, the, the truth of the scriptures together. Often a synagogue wouldn't start unless there were 10 men that would start it. And so there might not have been enough men in that city for this to start. And so you have these women faithfully gathering together uh, in, in practice of their faith. And so, and, and so Paul sees these women, he goes up, and they just start talking about the gospel. And, and he meets this, this woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia was from Thyatira, which is in Asia. And it says she's a seller of purple goods, all right? And, and we learn that she also, she's from Asia, has a house in Philippi. She's likely single or widowed, and, and she has done very well for herself, all right? This is likely in what she does in, in the selling of these goods. Lydia has done well for herself. And so I want you to think of Lydia as this, this kind of leading businesswoman in the fashion industry. I mean, she probably was in L.A. or New York, you know, this kind of, this idea. Uh, but it says she was a worshiper of God. Which doesn't necessarily make her a believer, but it's, it's likely pointing to her Jewish faith, that, that she was a practicing Jew. And, and it says that the Lord, it says, opened her heart to Paul's message, which was the gospel. That's what Paul was there to proclaim was the gospel. So the Lord opened her heart to the gospel. Paul was telling these Jewish women that the Messiah had come and he was Jesus. And, and so notice, I, I just want us to always be clear, it is the Lord who opens the heart. The salvation is a work of the Lord. We cannot, I cannot convince you this morning to believe in Jesus Christ. He gives you that ability. He gives us, he opens our hearts, giving us what we need to believe and have faith. And he does this with Lydia. But we are responsible for the proclamation of that message. And so this is what Paul is doing. This is what we are called to as well. And then uh, in verse 15, after her salvation, Lydia was baptized. Her baptism was an outward expression of what had happened to her internally. It was a declaration 
of her salvation, which at that time was kind of a big deal because there's uh, likely persecution uh, against believers. And so to be baptized in that way was actually aligning yourself with, with the message of Jesus Christ, which could bring uh, a target on you. Um, but, but she was baptized, and, and uh, after her salvation, she showed them hospitality immediately. I mean, she immediately was like, if, if you find me faithful, come to my home. Let me, let me be hospitable to you. And hospitality is a, a calling and a mark of, of the Christian community. Uh, over and over again in the scripture, we are called to be hospitable. And Lydia immediately takes this on by insisting and providing for the needs of those who are preaching the gospel. So she's like, come, stay, let me provide for you in this way. And so we see here with Lydia that the power of the gospel brings salvation to the wealthy and the influential. And, and sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, I can kind of think like we can trick ourselves into thinking certain people will never get saved. Like this person is so self-reliant, self-sufficient. Like there's just, they, they don't, they just are not going to be able to understand the gospel because they don't see needs they have or everything is so taken care of. They would never want that. Or, uh, you know, th- this message of Jesus and his humility doesn't really align with earthly leaders. And so you just kind of have this idea of like, this person would never believe the gospel. And I just want to always remind us, and Paul being a great evidence of this, that the gospel is for everyone, including the, the wealthy and the influential. God is the author of salvation. He is working a perfect plan of salvation. Our job is just to declare the message. And so for you, as you walk through your week, I just want you to be mindful of people. If you're like, is this someone that I should talk to about the gospel of Jesus? And you're like... I don't know, you know, that person, you know, it just listen to what's in your mind when you start justifying why you should not and let that begin to expose what do I believe about what God has called me to and who the author of salvation is. Our job is to display and declare to whomever he leads. Uh, point number three, the power of the gospel brings salvation for the poor and the oppressed, not just for the wealthy and the influential, but the poor and the oppressed as well. Look at verse 16 through 24. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. I think this part's so funny. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Roman citizens to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. So you've got this, this girl uh, who it says is a, had a spirit of divination. Now that the word, if you study it, means a, a spirit python, okay, which is crazy sounding, all right? So is this, she was a spirit python, but that had roots in mythology. At that time, people believed the python guarded the temple of Apollos, a god that they worshipped. And so someone, when a girl like this came, came around who had that, uh, that, that demon in her, that, that spirit making predictions of the future, they believed Apollos was communicating with them. And so they would pay for that. Like, hey, I, I want to know what Apollos is saying that I'm going to encounter, I'm supposed to do. And so I'm going to pay for that. So this girl is making money for these guys. She was a valuable commodity. She was 
owned by these men who were selling her abilities for profit, but she was also ultimately controlled by an evil spirit. She was demon-possessed. And so this girl was in bondage twice. She was, she was double enslaved to these men and to those demons. And so she starts following this. She sounds like a middle school boy. All right, no offense, middle school boys. All right. But she starts following them around, just yelling this message out. And it says for days. All right. So just like, you know, parents, some of y'all in here, you know what I'm talking about. Or kids, if you've got like a younger sibling, you're like, oh my goodness, will you please be quiet? Um, for days, this girl is doing this, proclaiming a very accurate message, by the way. These are men of God coming to teach you the way of salvation. And so Paul, finally, I love, you know, there's a lot of healings in the scripture. Uh, some people were healed because of their faith, others because someone had compassion on them. Paul was annoyed. He was like, spirit be gone. Like, get out of her. Uh, this is annoying. Uh, but Paul cast that spirit out. And as we read, the owners get mad and they, they take him to the magistrates and they throw him in jail. And they are beaten. They put their feet in stocks, right? Like they, they, beat, they strip their clothes off of them beat them horribly to the point where they probably couldn't lay down, then they put their feet in stocks in the inner jail so that there was no way of escape, all right? And so they're in this uh, very uh, uncomfortable situation. And what I want us to see here, that by the power of Jesus, this girl had been delivered from the demon that possessed her. She had been a, a spiritual captive, and now she is free. Now, it doesn't explicitly tell us how she responded. It doesn't say she was saved. We, we don't get that whole story, but, but it's likely she was. Often in Scripture, you go back every time Jesus was casting out demons and healing people, these people automatically, automatically came to faith in him. They automatically surrendered their, their life to him. And so it's likely that this girl uh, was saved and became a part of that church. But regardless, what we do know is that even if it didn't happen with this girl, we know that the power of the gospel brings salvation to the poor and the oppressed. The message of the gospel isn't just for those in good standing. It's just not just for the neat and the tidy. All right? It's not just for those who are sort of already religious and kind of have things together. The message of the gospel isn't just for those who we are comfortable around or who are kind to us. No, the message of the gospel is for everyone, including the poor and the oppressed. This is one of the reasons that we're trying to become increasingly involved with places in our community like Haven's Men's Shelter or Lifehouse Women's Shelter or the Children's Attention Home, that we have these opportunities right here in our own city right here within like a one mile radius. They're all right here where we can go to these people who are uh, poor and oppressed, who are orphans, who we can go and come alongside them with the message of the gospel and, and acts of service that meet needs, tangible needs that they have. It's an opportunity for us to serve them in that way and to proclaim the gospel. And, and so I just, as a church, we, you've got opportunity for that. We, we want you, we talked about last week, we want you to engage in that. And, and if you need help, find it. you can sign up for it uh, online. But if you need help with that, just let us write it on the Connect card. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll uh, just get you connected with that. But I would love for us as a faith family to step into those ways of serving the poor and, and the oppressed. And, and just a side note on this girl, right? She had lived this life that was just awful in so many ways. And I, I just, as we see what happened with her, I just want you to know that whatever addiction that you have, or whatever thing you feel like has such control over you, it just feels hopeless that it would ever uh, go away, that I just want you to know that there is nothing outside the miracle working power of Jesus Christ in your life. And so that feeling of hopelessness that you have is not from him, it's from the enemy, saying there's no way. There is no way you could ever be freed from that, and that is not true. God is doing that work in you and will complete that work 
in the day when you are with him. And if he can cast out the demon out of this girl, he can surely also free you from what you struggle with most. Here's my last point, point number four. The power of the gospel brings salvation for the unbelieving and the enemy. All right, so look at verse 25 here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So it's, it's midnight. Paul and Silas have been brutally beaten. And I don't know what you would be doing. I just want, like, if you had just been brutally beaten, and you were in the inner prison, think of a dungeon, and you were in the stocks, like you were, you were locked to something, I would be complaining, probably. Maybe by the grace of God, I would be singing hymns. But likely, I would be complaining. I'd be saying, God, why me? Why did you do this? Like, I'm just trying to do good things for you. Why has this harm come to me? Um, or, or maybe I'd be sleeping. I don't know. But it would likely not be singing hymns and praising God. I hope that we would all be doing what Paul and Silas were doing. But that's indeed what they were. They were praying out loud. They were singing out loud hymns to God. It's a great display of trust and peace in God. That in the midst of suffering, that we can rest in him. That's what they were doing. They were resting in God. And, and the prisoners, it says, were listening. And I think you would be too if you were a prisoner who had seen someone beat, who was singing out and praying in this way. And then suddenly, in the midst of it, an earthquake comes. Now just imagine if we were just sitting here and all of a sudden the building started to shake and the foundations of this building shook. That's exactly what happened in those moments. There was an earthquake and it says all the doors were opened and all their chains were released. I don't think it was your average earthquake. All right, This was something special going on here. And so after the quake, what happens is the jailer wakes up and he's going to kill himself because ultimately... His prisoners escaping is, is punishable by death. He, they were going to execute him if his prisoners escaped. And so before even looking or, or whatever, he immediately draws his sword to kill himself. And Paul stopped him. He said, no, no, don't do that. Everyone's in their cell. Now, I don't know. These are one of those, like, I read this. And I'm like, how did Paul know that? Because the jailer had to then get people to get lamps so they could check. Paul just knew. But Paul knew that no one had escaped their cell, that everyone was there, and the jailer's immediate response, what can I do to be saved? His immediate response is, introduce me to the God that you serve, the God that you have been singing of. He had likely heard them praying and singing. He knew the message they had been proclaiming. Their message had matched their life, and he wanted to meet the God that they served. And so their answer to him in verse 31 and 32 is simple. 
The answer wasn't, hey, clean yourself up, come to church on Sunday, here's this list of good things to do, here's the penance you have to make for all the bad things that you did. No, it wasn't that. The message was simple, and it's the same message today, believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus can save you right where you are, and he can save your family as well. There is no other way to salvation except through Jesus. That's true for you today as well. Like this jailer, you also can be saved here today. And no amount of attending our church or no amount of doing all these good things actually brings you salvation. And so you cleaning yourself up doesn't actually get you anywhere. It's only when we realize our sinfulness and throw ourselves at the mercy of Jesus that we find the salvation that he has offered. And so maybe today is the day of salvation for you. But, but look at the transformation in the jailer, right? Like verses 33 and 34. I mean, the, the, he had beaten these guys, held them captive, had, had put them in the stocks, in this dungeon, and now he's washing their wounds. Welcome, there's this hospitality again, welcoming them into his home, preparing food for them. And he immediately began to worship. He was praising God. He was rejoicing for the salvation that he had experienced. Church, the power of the gospel brings joy and it brings salvation to all of these people. All of this variety of people. It was the beginning of the church in Philippi. The power of the gospel not only brings salvation for each of these very diverse people, but it transforms them from the inside out, tearing down superficial, super, superficial divisions and barriers that we as people build up between different classes of people, between different races, between different economic statuses. It, it unites these people, the wealthy, the poor, the oppressed, the enemy, and many more. It unites them all together. Though they are very different, they are united as one in Christ. Only Christ can do that. Uh, only he can bring about that heart change that ultimately does see our differences. Because I just want to acknowledge that there are differences in us. Like we don't have to pretend like they're not there. That's okay. God created us in that way. It's all right for us to say, yeah, you're different for me. But the beauty of the gospel is that we can see those differences and actually unite together as one. That's the work of the gospel. It's not pretending like we're not different. It's acknowledging that we are and uniting together. That's the work of the gospel in us. It changes us from the inside out. Though our sin should be counted against us, if our faith is in Jesus as our rescuer, we are counted as righteous by God, ushered into this family, given a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. He puts his spirit in us to begin desiring what he desires for our life. And ultimately, what that does is tears down these barriers that we build and unites us together in him. So it brings us back to this big idea from this passage, this beginning of this church in Philippi, that the power of the gospel unites a diverse people for the glory of God. It speaks to his goodness. This was true in Philippi, but it's true for us today. Like, church, if we're going to be a gospel-centered community for the glory of God here in Old Town, then there's a reality that we must be a people who are welcoming of all kinds of people into our faith family. And I'm just, and this is me just talking practically to us. So let's just all kind of take this responsibility on ourselves for a minute. I'm not talking about just being nice to someone on Sunday morning who's different from you. Oh, please do that. Like, let's definitely do that. I'm talking about Monday through Saturday. 
welcoming people into your life, welcoming people into community. So, so many people have asked me, like, hey, hey how, what steps are we taking to become a more diverse church? And my question to you is always going to be, who are you spending time with during the week? Because we won't be something different here that we're not being Monday through Saturday. Let's not dress ourselves up that way. That's a lifestyle that we live. Yes, let's do everything to be welcoming and inclusive of that here on a Sunday. But that goes to your small group. That goes to who you're having coffee with, who you're having breakfast with, who you're exercising with, who are you, what neighbor are you spending time with? And so church, I just want to say really clearly, like if you want to grow, if you have a desire for us to grow more diverse, then I'm ultimately going to say that back to you. Then do that during the week this week. Let's take steps organizationally, but it's really about us doing that day in and day out in our everyday lives. If we're going to be a gospel-centered community, then we must apply the gospel to ourselves and others in our faith family as well. The gospel leads with grace. This grace that has been shown to us, this undeserved favor. And so in the face of sin, just like grace was shown to us, we show grace to one another. If we are going, really going to be united, a diverse people united in the gospel, then we've got to apply the gospel to one another. So it means that when you sin against me or I sin against you, that we just extend grace to one another. Not just blind, whatever, but we walk that road with one another. We bear those burdens with one another. We reconcile. We pursue forgiveness. And we don't treat people as though they are finished products. Because none of us are. Derek is. And praise the Lord. Derek's complete. But we're not. We're still on that road right now. We've got a long way to go. But by the power of the Spirit in us, day by day, He is doing that work in us. Praise Him for that. And so we grow more and more in that way, but we extend the grace of acknowledging that all of us is on that growing day by day by day. And so we lead out in living lives of diversity, welcoming people into this faith family, united in the gospel, but we also apply the gospel to one another in the way that we treat each other in our lives. Listen, church, we are at the very beginning of a beautiful journey. I, I pray one day that some people are celebrating the 150th anniversary of Old Town Church. None of us will be there. But, but, but that is my prayer, that God would establish a faith family in this community that clings tightly to the gospel, displays the gospel, declares the gospel in this community, and the work of that goes out in Rock Hill, but among the nations. But we're just at the beginning. We are the jailer. We are the demon-possessed girl. We are the business lady, fashionista person. Like, that's us. That's us uniting together, walking with one another, applying the gospel to one another in our everyday lives. And so I'm just, here's my, my charge to you as a church. Jump into that. Like, you be the one who leads out to, to develop that kind of community here. That's not something that I can do on my own or Trevor can do on his own or the elders. Like, this is all of us in this together. And so I'm just asking you, jump in, lean in, step into community, and let's figure this thing out together as the Lord ultimately unites us in his work for his glory here in Old Town.
and across the world. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, as we move into a time of response, I just pray that you would do a work in us. God, that you would move in the hearts of each of one of us in here. And so, God, we will trust you in these moments. And I just, oh, Lord, let your scripture and the truth of the gospel burn so deeply in us that as we approach our work week or our school week, coming up here even tomorrow, God, that we walk in light of that in ourselves but apply the truth of the gospel to others. And God, would you grow us in diversity? We do, we do want to actively pursue that, though. And so, Lord, develop that heart in us. Break down any prejudices that we might have buried deep within us. And God, unite us in the gospel. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.